Thank you, Sharon. Good morning. What a blessing it is to have all of you and those listening on the radio join us for worship this morning at First Church. Before we start our service, I have several announcements I'd like to make. The flowers on the altar are given by the family of Martha Settledge in honor of her 92nd birthday, which she'll be celebrating on Thursday, May 3rd. So happy birthday to Martha. The rose on the altar is in honor of Bill and Edith Wisman's Edith Henshin's 55th years of marriage, which they'll be celebrating on Friday, May 4th. So happy anniversary to both of you. If you're interested in ordering First Church clothing order with a logo on the front, we have had several requests to place another order. So there are order forms in the entryways today. We need a minimum of 12 orders in order to place that order. And at the current time, we have six. So if you'd like to place an order, please see Connie Schreer or call the church office at 419-753-2446. The National Day of Prayer is May 3rd. The Emanuel Church of Kettlerville, Ohio, invites you to a night of prayer at Emanuel Church. This is open to all and will focus on the communities of Anna, Jackson Center, New Knoxville, and New Bremen and Botkins. So come join them for a time of prayer, worship, and intercession for many aspects of our community. The start time is 7 p.m., and we are listing 9 p.m. as the concluding time. But we invite individuals to come and go as their schedule allows. Emmanuel Church is located at 8888 State Route 274 in Kettlerville. One other item was brought up to me this morning that the Daily Disciple, the monthly paper that we send out, had in there for the Bloodmobile to be at the American Legion on May the 4th. That is not the correct date. The correct date is May the 18th from noon to 6 p.m. At this time, I'd like to invite two ladies up here, one being our youth pastor, Tori Russell, and the other, Allie Buckland. They have some announcements for you. Good morning. So, uh, VBS is coming soon. We have 36 days until VBS starts, and we need your help. Uh, we cannot do VBS week without the help of our church um, and the Methodist church as well, and we really count on the participation that you guys provide for that. Um, so, here's a list of things that we need help with. Uh, games, uh, a game teacher, a music teacher, teachers for the following classrooms for four-year-olds, pre-K, kindergarten, and fifth grade. Uh, we'll need probably about 15 teachers total for the entire week. Uh, we also need helpers, so students, I'm talking to you, um, and whoever else would like to volunteer as well. We usually have about 35 to 50 people helping out um, on any given day. So if you would like to sign up, um, contact me. We'll have helper forms out soon, um, and we can talk about that. Also, we always need the amazing baked goods that you all provide. Um, they're so good, and they don't go to you. they don't go to waste. Trust me. Um, and then this year, if you know how to build things and use power tools, like I do not, um, I need your help because we're going to build the set this year, um, and I just don't know how to use power tools. So if you are good at that um, and would like to donate some time before VBS kicks off, uh, please contact me because I would love your help. Um, and we will also this year have a nursery available for anybody who would like to help out um, that has younger kids. So there will be someone staffing that. Um, 
and it, that will hopefully make it a little easier um, for you all to participate if that is what God is asking you to do. Um, also, on May 2nd, we have a mission trip parent meeting. Uh, we'll be talking about our trip this year and giving you all information on that. So that is this Wednesday at 730 in the Ministry Center. And then on May 20th, we will be having a taco bar fundraiser for our mission trip. Um, and all proceeds will go to our mission project this year, and we will have um, dine-in or takeout options as well, and it will be over in the ministry center after church. And then uh, Mother's Day is coming, and if you need a gift, um, we have plenty of cookbooks left. So if you'd like to purchase one, uh, stop by the office, or you can purchase them online through the website. And now I'll ask Allie to come up. Good morning. I am going to talk to you today about sponsoring a child through Compassion International. Um, I'm going to first tell you about the child that I sponsor. um, She lives in the Philippines. Her name is Natnat, and she's four years old. This is a picture of her, and I will have it back at the back table. She lives with um, her mother in a very poor part of the Philippines, and our family has been sponsoring NatNat for two years through Compassion International. I believe so much in sponsorship and in compassion, and um, I'm asking you guys to consider sponsoring a child as well. I was sitting in the congregation during Compassion Sunday about two years ago when I felt called to sponsor a child. I just kept thinking about my sweet Josephine, who was about one at the time, and how I would feel if I was living in poverty and couldn't provide her with the necessities of life, um, such as clean water and good food and um, an education. I decided that day that if I could help another family have access to clean water, good food, education, and most importantly, learn about the saving power of Jesus, that I should. We chose to sponsor Nat Nat, who is almost Josephine's age that day, and our lives have been changed ever since. We've um, exchanged letters and pictures and even sent her a Christmas gift of chickens through Compassion this year. There are many children living with no money and no food. Can you imagine not having the basics of life? These stories that you hear are overwhelming, but very common in these countries. In fact, there's a table set up behind... um, or to the left in the back, <laughs> uh, where the kids' bags are that um, display children that are just like Nat Nat who are waiting for sponsors. After Nat Nat was sponsored, her mother wrote us a letter and said, we're so happy because now we've left poverty behind forever. That's the power of sponsorship. That's why we sponsor Nat Nat, and it's why I'm inviting you to find your own child today. Your sponsorship is unique and child-specific. It's a special relationship where you can exchange personal letters with a child, and your gifts directly support that little boy or girl that you have chosen. Many sponsors choose their child based on name or age or country. What if you could release a child from poverty forever? If God's calling you to help a child, would you please come and see me at the sponsorship table? Compassion is a trustworthy organization. It's been around for more than 60 years. It's a Christian ministry, and it meets the physical needs like hunger, clean water, education, and health care. But they also introduce the children to Jesus. 
The cost per month is less than what you might spend on lunch after church today. And Joel and I consider it part of our monthly tithing. It's easy to set up monthly payments online, and Compassion helps you communicate to your sponsor with your sponsor child by providing you with special notes and self-addressed envelopes. And I have some examples at that back table. They also translate the letters that are being sent and received from your child. Sponsorship really is an amazing experience. And we have Josephine a part of it, too, by drawing pictures and telling us what to write, and we'll write stuff down. And I really think that you would enjoy being a part of sponsorship. I believe that if God leads you to sponsor a child, he will change your life in addition to your child's life. I know that I've been changed in so many ways as NetNet sponsor, and there are too many children waiting for us to stand up for them. Let's do that today. I look forward to seeing you at that back table. Just come and even take a look, ask some questions, and I'll help you, you know, be able to answer as many questions as I can. So please stop by, and, and I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you, Allie and Tori. There are numerous other announcements in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to take the time to look them over. And now to start a worship service, would you please rise and join me in our call to worship. This morning it is taken from Romans 3, verses 21 through 24. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came from Jesus. Jesus. And now, please remain standing for our opening song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery.
As the children come forward for the children's chat, please take a moment and greet one another. Good morning. Oh, good morning. Oh, hi. Yeah, I'm Mrs. Rubba. I'm, I'm, I'm the one who does weird things to you. You remember the chocolate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. she doesn't trust me anymore. It's all good. <laughs> Sing with me if you know my song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Do you know what comes next? Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Do you know what's next? Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. How many of you heard that song before? Oh, good. I picked a good one then. I remember you saying it once. Now, um, I picked that song because this song has a lot to do with what Pastor Joel's gonna talk about. When he talks about acts, they talk about things that Jesus did and what his disciples did to go and tell the story of Jesus and all the cool stuff that he did. So what does that song mean to us? That song is a reminder of what we can do. So if your light is going to tell Jesus' story, then you can do that with your words, you can do that with your actions, and you can do it with your life. So if I won't let Satan blow it out, what am I going to do? I'm going to let it shine. That's right. So what does it mean to cover something up? What does it mean to cover our light? Do you know what that looks like? Hmm. Hmm, maybe not literally. I could cover it with an umbrella or a basket. What do you think? Maybe, maybe. But if you're covering up your light, can other people see it? No. No. So if I'm being a good friend, would that be letting my light shine? No. Sure would. Because does Jesus want you to be a good friend? Does God want us to be a good friend to people? Uh-huh. Yeah. What if I was pouty? Thank you. What if I was pouty and I'm like, I don't want to be a good friend today. Would God be as happy with me? Am I letting my light shine for everyone to see? Not so much. So when Pastor Joel is talking about, Paul, Jesus, and all these other characters going and letting their light shine. That's what that song is reminding us. Does that make sense? I'm going to 
bow my head and I'm going to fold my hands. And I'm just going to sing a little bit more because God likes it when we sing, doesn't he? Does he? Yeah. He's, the Bible says make a joyful noise. It doesn't have to be ready for the record label. It just has to be sincere and it has to be your best. Right? Yeah. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Amen. Thanks, guys. Lost this week in Port Mosbury, Papua New Guinea, Sergeant First Class Sean Green, 38. Before we pray, I just want to once again highlight that this Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. And I do encourage you, whether you're able to join us at Kettlersville on Thursday night or not, uh, to set aside some time that day to, to pray for our communities, pray for our churches, um, and pray for our nation and our world. Um, it's definitely an important thing to do, not just one day of the year, but every day, but especially that day, to set aside time and, and, and uh, pray for those things. What a wonderful thing we can be doing uh, for our, our nation and our world is, is be lifting up those concerns to the Lord in prayer. Let's do that together right now. Father, thank you so much that we have the opportunity to pray, not just one day of the, of the year, but every day, and, and lift up our concerns to you. Uh, we, we trust and know that you are a God who hears as we pray, who listens and, and, and acts and is able to provide in ways, Lord, beyond what we can possibly imagine. Um, you are good, and, and we trust that, that you will do what is best for us, even if we're not always aware of what that best is or means. Um, but we trust that your will is what is best. We trust that your, your purpose and your plan is, is greater than anything we can come up with on our own. And so we submit ourselves to your plan and your authority. And we ask that you would work in our lives, Lord, to bring that about. We, we pray, Lord, uh, for the concerns that we have listed in our bulletin, the names that are listed there, and all of the, the burdens and the health issues and, and whatever else those names represent. Uh, we pray that you would work and that your will would be done in those situations. Pray each name that's listed there uh, and the families and the friends that are surrounding them would, would experience your grace and your goodness even now and experience your, your peace and your power in, in their situation. Uh, Lord, we also, uh, with, with the National Day of Prayer in mind, do pray for those who are in authority over us. We pray for our local governments, our state government, and our national government, Lord, uh, that you would work and act, um, that, that our leaders would have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness. Um, and we pray especially this week with the news of, of, of North and South Korea meeting to talk about peace treaties and, and, and just the wonderful news that that brings, Lord. I pray that it would follow through, that, that we would see peace and conflicts coming to an end around this world, especially on the Korean Peninsula. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for this and, and pray all these things in the name of your Son who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. Thank you.
good morning. Please remain standing for the scripture reading this morning, and if you have your Bibles, please open them up and follow along. The scripture reading this morning is from Acts 13, verses 23 through 41. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son today, I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, and he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care. That what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your day that you would never believe, even if someone told you. And now we'll be singing just the first verse of hymn number 45, Surely Goodness and Mercy.
men, you may be seated. Father God, as we open your word together this morning, I pray that you would guide us by your spirit. I pray that uh, you would help us to see the truth of your word and, and what you have in store for us this day. And I pray that all of our hearts and minds will be open to what you have to say to us. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. If you were to look at uh, how people viewed history, kind of over the course of, of human history, we'd see that there were a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different, what I may call, worldviews. Uh, there was this idea, especially in ancient times, that history was cyclical. In other words, history just repeated itself over and over and over again, much like a calendar year, right? You have your four seasons and they just repeat over and over again. And people viewed history in much the same way. The same things happened over and over again. And from that time and forward, there's been different perspectives as well. People have had a very pessimistic or a very optimistic view of history. Either we were, we were going in the right direction, right? Things were getting better and better and better and, and we'll continue to get better until one day when everything is, all the wrongs have been made right. We have accomplished everything we possibly can and we'll be living in a utopia, right? Or there's the pessimistic, which is going in the other direction, right? Uh, which means that things are just going to get worse and worse and worse until one day things are just can't get any further down the line. Uh, there's also the view that, that, you know, the, the world we live in, the universe we live in is eternal. There was no beginning, there will be no end, and things will just continue on in the same path, in the same direction forever and ever and ever, right? We always have been here, we always will be here, and nothing is ever going to change about that. And I think a very popular, uh, viewpoint, a very popular worldview today is, is the idea, and, and I, w- I don't think people would label it this way, but, but we're here on accident, right? We're just a big cosmic mistake, that there is no meaning or purpose to life, that everything that happens is simply random and has no consequence for the future besides the immediate impact. This idea that, that everything is just Everything is just here and, and there's nothing beyond that. All these different viewpoints have been common and throughout human history at different points and, and very well are common today. And the, the reason I bring that up to you is because our worldview is important. How we view human history, how we view the direction that we are going is, is really important because it impacts the way that we live and the way that we think and the way that we act here and now. How we view the, the course that we're on and how we view what has happened in the past is going to impact how we live today and the things that we value and the things that we find important. And that's exactly what Paul is getting to here. You, you heard a, a, a portion of Paul's first recorded sermon here in the book of Acts. Uh, the, the passage is actually considerably longer than that, but for the sake of time, we wanted to try to narrow our scripture reading today. But, but if you wanted to read it on your own, it actually begins all the way back in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, and continues on to, to the end of the chapter in verse 52. And what we see here in this, in this passage is Paul's, first of all, setting up a, a pattern that will carry on throughout the rest of his ministry. Um, and throughout the rest of the book of Acts, he would go into a synagogue when he arrived in a new town and would preach to the people of God there and then would expand his ministry from that point. And another pattern emerged as well, that many of the religious people of that day, many of the people you thought would 
would receive Christ, that would be open to, to the gospel of God's Messiah coming and, and dying for our sins and rising again, they were the people who rejected Him. They were the people who wanted nothing to do with Paul and his companions and, and would often drive them out of town, which would spur Paul to go on and find another place to preach. But he also, the people that were outside, that were on the fringes, the people that the New Testament often refers to as Gentiles, those outside of the Jewish community, were ones that would often receive with joy the good news of the gospel. And that would continue on through his ministry as well. If you were to look at the verses following what Tracy just read for us today, you'll see that that pattern emerge once again. But I bring all this up because because Paul, in this first recorded sermon, uh, preaches about a specific view of history. And the view of history is that, that there is a God who is sovereign over it all. That God has been, has been, is, and can, will continue to, to move and act and work within the world we see today. And we actually get a, a glimpse of that in the verses immediately leading up to the passage that Tracy read for us. I encourage you, I'm not going to read it out loud, but if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to look at verses 16 through 22 of that 13th chapter of Acts. And we'll see that first part of Paul's sermon is, is dedicated to, to explaining and, and viewing the history of Israel with the idea that God is in charge and God had been moving from the beginning of their, their history until right up to that present day. We see over and over again that God acts and God wills to accomplish His purpose. Just for example, I want to read verse 17 to you. It says, The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. And with mighty power, He led them out of that country. Just think of that one verse. There's three instances there of God acting and God working to accomplish His purpose within His people. Notice it didn't say that they escaped from Egypt and they found their way through the wilderness. No, it says God did it for them. God was the one who was acting and working on their behalf. In fact, in, in those, in those verses 16 through 22, we see 10 different times that God is the, the subject of the action. He's the one that's moving the story along. He, in a sense, is the main character of Israel's history. And what we learn from this, what Paul, the, the message that Paul is trying to communicate is that God is sovereign. He is in control. Pause for a second and, and reflect on the story of your life. Look back. Some of you may have more years to reflect on than others, right? But reflect back on the, the story of your life and how God has brought you to this point. Can you honestly say that God has been working and, and has brought you along? You see, I believe that spiritual hindsight is twenty twenty. More often than not, we don't realize, especially in the moment, how God is working. We don't always see the evidence of it when we're in the middle of the storm or when we're in the middle of a moment, uh, especially a, a particularly difficult moment of life. It's only after we get through that moment, after we get through that storm, that we look back and we realize and we see God at work. And the evidence is oftentimes overwhelming. I know for, for some time after Allie and I were married, we kept what we called our, our blessing journal. We would try to take time at least a few times a week and, and reflect on how God was working in the big things and in the little things. 
And it amazed us to see how God was working in ways that we didn't even realize if we didn't take the time to pause and reflect on it. See, God is the main character of our stories. But, but we, we'll miss it if we don't take the time to, to pause and think on that. I think a great example of, of this reality is the book of Esther in the Old Testament. Some of you may be familiar. It's a story that takes place during the time of, of the Babylonian exile. And, and the people of Israel were, were in, a, in a position of, of possible extinction. There was a threat to their people. And, and Queen Esther stepped up and, and, and had the courage and the audacity to, to step up. And God delivered his people through her. But the interesting thing about that book is there is absolutely no mention of God whatsoever. It's the only book in our Bible that does not reference or name God even a single time. But if you read that story, if you reflect on it, it is overwhelmingly obvious how God was active and working in that moment. Right? God delivered His people through them, but, but it's not mentioned. His name is not mentioned once in that story. Our lives can be the same way. If we reflect, we can see, we may not realize it, we may not notice it, but God is working and He is active and He's bringing us to the purposeful end that He desires. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. In other words, we, we, may, have, we may think we have everything in control. We may think we know what we're doing. We may think we have all our lives planned out, but it's actually the Lord who is, who is working. It's the Lord who determines our ways. Some of you may be familiar with this, the Heidelberg Catechism. Right, the, the question that we had all of our students this year memorize is, is the very first question, and it speaks directly to, to this worldview, this idea that God is active and working in our lives. The question is, what is our only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul and life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. And He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly and willing and ready from now on to live for Him. That passage speaks to God's tender care and His mercy and His provision for us and that all things must work together for our salvation. God is active and working. Even the the hardest parts of our lives, even the most difficult moments, God is active and working even in those to bring about His good and His will and His plan for us. We just have to have the eyes to see it like Paul does here in this passage. So you may ask, what does God's sovereignty mean for me? What does it mean for us? Well, first it gives us the confidence that through the good, the bad, and the ugly of life, God is there and He is working. You see, we may go through life and, and think that we have everything under control. We can go through life thinking that if I just plan everything out to the finest detail, if I, if I just control everything, if I stress out over, over every detail of life, then somehow I'm, I'm controlling my destiny. Somehow I'm in, I'm in charge and I'm, I'm steering the ship in the direction I want it to go. But for some of us, we get a, a harsh wake-up call that that is certainly not the case. We often only turn to God as a last resort in those moments. 
Like that saying goes, when all else fails, pray, right? But first, we need, to, we need to go to God first. When we have an idea that God is active and working and throughout history and in our own lives, we have the confidence that He is there and, and we can trust Him and, and submit to Him and allow Him to work in and through us. It also gives us the assurance that we are in good hands. That He will work all things together for our good, as it says in Romans 8.28. You see, the problem is that we don't always understand or we don't see the good that, that He is working We can't understand it or can't perceive it in the moment. But He is actively working for our good. And it gives us hope. It gives us the opportunity to trust in His promises and trust in His Word, even if we're not feeling it in the moment. Because we know that He is sovereign and His Word will never fail. Isaiah 55.11 reminds us that God's Word does not return to Him empty. It always accomplishes what He desires. And if we have that mindset, if we have that worldview, then everything else falls into place. And so we see here also that God brings human history to its purposeful, uh, to its, to its purposeful conclusion. And that is by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, the greater King. You see, Paul recites Israel's history up to the point of King David, who was, who was the great king. He was the one who God had made that promise to all the way back in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that, that God would establish His throne and His kingdom forever. That one of David's descendants would, would rule and reign for all time. You see, obviously though, David died, right? When he had accomplished his purpose, when, when his time was through, he, was, he died and was buried and remained there. But in Jesus, we see that is not the case. There's one who would come after David who would reign forever, and that person is God's Son, Jesus Christ. And he would not see decay. He would not remain in the grave. In fact, the cross, which was supposed to be the moment of utter defeat, was the very way that God accomplished victory. And so now we are here, just as Paul and Acts, we're living in a sense between the times. We're living between the time of the cross and Jesus' victory there over sin and death in the grave. And, and, and we've experienced that, and that's in the past, but, but yet we are still waiting for His return. We are still waiting for the time when Christ will return and establish His kingdom completely and fully in this world. And so we're living between those two times. The war has been won on the cross. Jesus is King. But yet we still experience the reality of sin and the effects of sin in this world. I shared with my Sunday school class a few weeks ago about the Battle of New Orleans. This is one of the final battles of the War of 1812. And the interesting thing about that battle is that it took place almost a month after the Treaty of Ghent was signed, which ended the war. You see, back in, uh, in January, excuse me, in December 24th of 1814, the, the, the peace treaty was signed in, in Europe, but it took a long time for that message to finally make its way to New Orleans. And so unbeknownst that a treaty had been signed, the battle waged for 10 days from January 8th to the 18th of 1815 until word came that the war had ended. You see, we're, it's like we're living between the times. It's like we're, we're still fighting the battle against sin. We're still fighting the battle against the effects of sin in this world, even though Jesus has already won the war on the cross. 
And one day Jesus will return and establish His kingdom forever. And at that time, sin and death and all that is associated will finally be, be, be conquered once and for all. So Jesus is our greater King. He's the one that God has sent to rule and to reign over us. That is the, the direction and the purpose that God had been bringing all of human history to. And we can now experience that for ourselves. We can be citizens of that kingdom. And what does that mean for us? It means that we can experience His forgiveness. You see, we need a reminder of the gospel every day. I know I do. Because we need to experience His forgiveness every day. When we trust in Christ, our, our, our sins are wiped clean from our past sins, our present sins, our future sins have all been removed. But yet we still struggle because that war is, that battle is still being fought. And so we need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be reminded that Christ died and rose again for us and we can experience truly His forgiveness. You see, the gospel is not about what we need to do in order to reach God, but about what God has done for us in Christ. When Jesus hung on the cross, He said, It is finished. There was nothing left that needed to be done. He had already accomplished it for us. You see, the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that He is the greater King that we need, is not dependent on anything that I struggle with. It's not dependent on my mood. There are some days where I don't feel forgiven. There's some days I don't feel like I deserve God's love, right? But it's not dependent on how I feel. It's dependent on a fact of history that Christ died and rose again. The truth of the Gospel is not dependent on my actions because that battle is still being waged and I will continue to sin and make mistakes. Now our goal is to strive and be like Christ. Our goal is to, to turn from sin and, and run towards Christ. But the reality is we will continue to struggle with sin. And so the Gospel is not dependent on that. Our sin has been forgiven. And so we can trust and hope that Jesus is King and we can be citizens of His kingdom. And it's not dependent, the Gospel I mean, is not dependent on our circumstances. Remember, God is sovereign. He is in control. And there's nothing that can separate us from His love. Romans chapter 8 teaches us that. It says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from God. You see, that's the, that's the struggle we often deal with, is that we feel that, that we find our identity, excuse me, in, in things apart from Christ. We find meaning and we find purpose in things that are not of Him. That's what Paul's getting at. He says, he says we've been set free. We're no longer slave to sins or under His power. We've been justified. We've been made right with God in a way that the law of Moses never could. See, our problem is that we keep trying to find our, our purpose. We try to find our salvation. We try to find our meaning in things apart from Christ. Even the good things of life. In our family, in our job, in our bank accounts, in our pleasure, right? We find meaning to define ourselves by any number of things. Even good things can become idols when we, find our, when we define ourselves by them. 
Instead, we need to submit to Christ as King. We need to find our joy and our hope and our identity in Him. And in doing so, we will find purpose. We'll find joy and find meaning. See, we've been justified, it says. We've been made right before God. Once we were enemies, but now we are at peace. Once we were dead, but now we are alive. And we've been justified. We've been set free. We've been forgiven. Not so that we can continue in our sinful ways, but so that we can live for Christ. We can live and act and be the people that God intended us to be. See, God loves us enough to accept us just as we are, but He also loves us enough not to leave us that way. And so He's going to work and, and, and act in us to, to be, help us to become more like Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-12 through 12 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. See, being committed to Christ is about being committed to His act and His work in this world. That includes in all of human history, but includes in your life as well. Being committed to see Him working and being committed to His purposes. And that includes turning away from our sin and embracing Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's pray together today. Father, I thank You that You have sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our greater King. To live and to die for us. To bring all of human history to this point so that we may know You as as Lord and God, that we may experience Your salvation and, and shine that light to all the world. Help us to receive that for ourselves today and pass that on to those we encounter. In Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and in closing sing number 227, Thine is the Glory.
I'd like to encourage you once again to check out the Compassion International table uh, right back there to my left um, before you leave today. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.